Welcome to MuckleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And today we're discussing the final chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in our chapter-by-chapter series. The chapter is The Man with Two Faces. Wow. Another book. Gone. (laughs) Done. (laughs) But first, just want to start with a little bit of sad news. Leslie Phillips, the voice of the Sorting Hat, passed away at the age of 98. So he lived a good, long life. How many movies do you think he actually appeared in? Or voice the Sorting Hat in. Oh it, well, it's it's most of the films, but also if you think about it, the uh, Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey. Yeah, um, he he recorded extra stuff because the Sorting Hat. Right before you get on the ride in Hogwarts, the Sorting Hat is there. Oh, that's right. Rest in peace, Leslie Phillips, and his voice will of course live on in the many rewatches of Harry Potter and the many rewrites of Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey. I wonder if people are going to leave socks in, next to the hat. Hats. They'll leave hats. At Forbidden Journey. He's not Dobby. Just leave hats. <laughs> just toss a hat up onto the sorting hat. Well, of course, that joke was in preview of our bonus MuggleCast uh, this week, which we'll talk about in a minute. But speaking of our Patreon, the sixth annual MuggleCast Patreon gift exchange is now live once again. Thanks, as always, to Brittany V for leading the charge here. But we have a month before the RSVP deadline, December 5th. The spending limit is $30. And you can find out all of that information uh, on the MuggleCast patrons Facebook group. I've really enjoyed over the years participating. And I know my fellow co-hosts here, you guys all have before, right? Yeah, totally. It's a great community thing that we do. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that is, again, in the Facebook group. That's exclusively for MuggleCast patrons. Eric did just mention our Patreon. We do have a new bonus MuggleCast coming up on Patreon today. We're going to talk about some news. There is a huge new preview of Hogwarts Legacy. There was also this story from the New York Times. Best headline ever, in my opinion. Dobby's grave can stay on a beach in Wales, but please stop giving him socks. So we talk about that. (laughs) And there was a report Bloomsbury shared that sales of Harry Potter books have surged in the last year. So we talk about why that may be. Was it because of Secrets of Dumbledore or are there other reasons? The worldwide box office success, uh, Fantastic Beasts, Secrets of Dumbledore. Or is it because parents don't want to give their kids their original copies of the books or whatever reasons? Why Why are sales surging? We try to figure that out in our bonus MuggleCast today. We do a monthly bonus MuggleCast installment. You basically get more MuggleCast once a month over on our Patreon as a thank you for supporting us. All right, let's do this. Let's wrap up Sorcerer's Stone, chapter 17, and we'll start with our seven-word summary. All right, I'm going to start off this seven-word summary (laughs) with the man, the myth, the legend, Dumbledore. Comes at the situation with lies. (laughs) That's mean! (laughs) No. Bad, Micah. No. Well, that's that's funny. I'm so glad that we ended that sentence with the word lies, because we are going to be talking about uh, is Dumbledore a liar in this episode as one of our discussion points. But first, um, as we get into our main discussion here, I thought that we could pick up from last week and connect some threads. We did a really good job last week of connecting the threads between each of the various tasks that the trio have to go through 
and one of the seven books that they correspond to. Obviously, this final task with the Mirror of Erised is Dumbledore's task. And there is a lot that you can draw between uh, a lot of connections you can draw between this task and what happens in Deathly Hallows. Um, so first and foremost, Dumbledore is a key player in both climaxes. Um, so in this task, um, but also in the, the climax of Deathly Hallows, after the fact, when Harry comes to, Dumbledore is awaiting him to have a conversation, right? When Harry wakes up, in the hospital wing, Dumbledore's there waiting for him. When he wakes up at, we can do air quotes here, King's Cross, <laughs> um, Dumbledore is <laughs> there waiting for him. We can also see that he really sets Harry up for both of these conflicts in this case. So he gives him the invisibility cloak with the just in case note so that he can make his way to um, the third floor corridor and begin trying to get past all of these various tasks and get to the stone. Um, and we also see in Deathly Hallows that he reveals to Harry right at the very end through Snape's memory that his plan for Harry was to die all along. <sighs> I know, which is heartbreaking. But it is interesting to see that in both cases, Dumbledore really was, again, the chess master, making sure that everything was in the right place at the right time so that Harry had what he needed to move forward. There were a couple of other things going off of what you said, Laura. I wanted to kind of draw some comparisons to Deathly Hallows as well. In both instances, Voldemort really can't touch Harry. So mm -hmm. I look at Deathly Hallows in the sense that, you know, he tries to kill him. He can't. So I, I'm, you know, playing around a little bit here, but obviously Quirrell cannot physically touch Harry. It has a really nasty effect on him. Voldemort can't really touch Harry in the sense that he, Harry's more immortal than Voldemort is at that point, um, mm -hmm. quite honestly. So I know I'm taking some liberties. And then with the seventh task being the Mirror of Erised, which we you know, associate with Dumbledore and, you know, that by extension, you could say Quirrell is, is part of that um, seventh task and that in effect is Voldemort. It connects to Deathly Hallows in that the seventh book is really all about Dumbledore and the Hallows and Voldemort and his Horcruxes. So I think it sets up very nicely going back to our episode last week where we were kind of comparing the different tasks to the different books. Yeah, I think so too. And what I really like about you bringing up the idea of Voldemort not being able to touch Harry, I know you said you kind of felt like you were taking some liberties there, but I think we can give a little more credit to this point because remember, the reason that Voldemort really can't kill Harry is because Harry's blood flows through Voldemort's veins. So it's keeping Harry alive. So I, I think in that regard, you can argue that there is a solid comparison here between Voldemort not being able to, quote, touch Harry. There's also a line in here. I'm trying to find it right now, but the robes start to come off Quirrell to bind Harry. And I'm going to make a bad connection between the first book and the final movie. When I read that line in the book, I thought about how in the final movie they had the robes coming off Voldemort. And starting to like go around Voldemort or Harry. Remember that? <laughs> Do you think David it was Yates was so bad? David Yates read that and he was like, We need that in the movie. 
We must pay tribute to that moment from book one in movie eight. We've been trying to do it for eight movies. He ties Harry up, right? Yeah. 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 And it just reminded me of that scene in the movie, which is really bad. And Voldemort looks like he's like meditating in the movie. It's really corny. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry to remind everybody about that abomination in the final movie. <laughs> All good. Uh, but also in many ways... The Sorcerer's Stone is a precursor to Horcruxes, right? They're, these are mm-hmm. both ways for Voldemort to be able to live forever. And in fact, J.K. Rowling uh, on WizardingWorld.com mentions that Quirrell is in effect turned into a temporary Horcrux by Voldemort uh, in this book. We don't know it, of course, because Horcruxes is it's not even something we've heard of, but that's what's happening here. It actually makes perfect sense if you view as, uh, you know, a Horcrux is essentially just a container for a piece of someone's soul that they have split off. By that definition, it's actually pretty much directly explained to Harry. Um, when Voldemort is talking to Harry from the back of Quirrell's head in chapter 17 of book one, he describes himself uh, and his current state of existence as being mere shadow and vapor. And he tells Harry, I have form only when sharing another's body. So it really showcases what Voldemort has become. And of course, I'm hearing the voice in my head, see what I've become. But (laughs) it basically is the part, this really brings home that this is the part of Voldemort's soul that used to occupy his body. So it's, it's almost like it's Voldemort prime. It's Voldemort, the actual Voldemort that raised the wand and cast the death curse on a little infant child. It's that same guy. And it's interesting to consider which versions of Voldemort in the subsequent books we're actually dealing with, because famously in book two, it's the diary Horcrux. Mm. It's not the same Voldemort. You know, Voldemort in book two has no memory of dealing, speaking with Harry now here because it was a different, entirely different soul, entirely different Horcrux, basically. That's so interesting. I've never I've never spent too much time thinking about that. But you're right, Eric. Yeah, that's cool. So. You know, this is the Voldemort, I guess, that is then nursed into some physical form by Peter Pettigrew and uh, milking Nagini for her venom that then is able to actually constitute a little bit of a body, which then is dumped into the cauldron. So it's it's kind of neat and tidy that the version of like the specific part of Voldemort's soul that once occupied his body at the time that Harry stopped him is the one that eventually does regain a body and come back into power and is the last to die. So it's like the longest living of all of Voldemort's Horcruxes. That's really cool. And yeah. and Micah, you had another interesting connection here between book one and book seven. Yeah, they, they both feature stones prominently. The Sorcerer's Stone would have provided Voldemort with uh, immortality. Uh, and then, of course, we have the Resurrection Stone in... Deathly Hallows, and we know that that's used for bringing the dead back to life in some form. So kind of opposite ends of the spectrum here in terms of making a comparison, right? One represents life, the other really represents death. And what I like too is I I think there are some comparisons we can draw between the quality of life provided by both of these stones. I mean, for Voldemort, for example, his soul is so broken that, yeah, the Sorcerer's Stone could give him immortal life, but how, what is the quality of that life going to be? 
And then on the other hand, thinking about the resurrection stone, we know that it doesn't actually bring anyone back. They're mere shadows of what they were. Um, and ultimately, we know that uh, the, the one Peveril brother who used the stone in the tale was driven mad uh, by longing because he couldn't actually have his fiance back. Right. So, yeah. I do see the stone as being like, I just still to this day think, oh, it's legit. Like it would have legitimately cured even like the half-life curse that killing a unicorn would have. I, I really do see the Sorcerer's Stone as being this pure end all, which is why Dumbledore then destroys it, you know, with Nicholas uh, as well agreeing to it. That said, if there is a knock against the stone or if there is an aspect of the stone that is not as real as it should be, it's the idea that this immortality you get from drinking the elixir of life is temporary. And that's kind of a weird aspect of it. Like I never suspected that the elixir of life would be a temporary thing, but everyone in this chapter knows it. Harry's like, mm-hmm. but then he'll die. And someone was like, oh yeah, yeah. We, absolutely. He'll die. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Cause immortality is immortality. It's not, frailty it's not you know all these other things that the movie versions do but apparently you know i digress so it does seem like it's less than desirable to have the stone because you need to keep the stone then and it would essentially be like an elder wand type thing where somebody would always be trying to get it and eventually you would run out of elixir and die yeah Yeah. and to your point there's always a target on your back yeah and Going off of what you said, Laura, when you're talking about quality of life, right? We, I think it's easy to look at the resurrection stone, but what's the quality of life with the sorcerer's stone too? Because when it is destroyed, Nicholas Flamel is going to die very, very quickly, right? It, and and so it seems presumably that he's lived a very kind of wholesome life, but I but I wonder what the toll has been for him to live for almost 700 years, right? All the things that he's seen, all the things that he's experienced. Yes, he has his wife, but I'm sure he's lost other things along the way. And he's very frail. We saw him in Crimes right. of Grindelwald. It just, no, I, I think it's a good point. And it's like, I, this is like a whole bigger related question, but to quote the Queen song and probably other songs, who wants to live forever? Like there's, there's not that many benefits to living forever. Sure, the Sorcerer's Stone is nice to buy you an extra 10 years especially if you were to potentially die an early death for whatever reason. But 600 years? I mean, that's just selfish, wanting to live that (laughs) long. Well, and to that point, you know, if you take, um, you know, the crimes of Grindelwald as, you know, at its word and as canon, Nicholas isn't looking too great for somebody who has the elixir of life. So yeah, there's not many benefits, I don't think. But that's a discussion for another podcast. I know. We could we could honestly have a whole episode about that. Let's let's jot that down because I think that would be a fun one. Who wants to live forever? (laughs) Wants to live forever. By Queen. Well I had a question I wanted to pose to y'all. Um there is this point where uh, you know, Harry realizes that he needs to look in the mirror and just think about what he wants the most in this moment is for Quarrel not to get the stone, right? He wants to find it so Quarrel can't find it. And all of a sudden, he just feels the weight of the stone in his pocket. He realizes he has it. But then it seems that Voldemort knows he has it too. He says, now, why don't you give me that stone in your pocket? And I was wondering, <laughs> is this because of the Horcrux connection that Voldemort knows this? Or 
could he be using legitimacy here? All the above. Yeah, I think I think it could be multiple things. I think it could also be it can be easy to manipulate a child like you ate the last cookie, didn't you? And sometimes the kid will just say yes to get the parent off their back or they just suspect they have that look on their face like they they've done something bad or they have something that the parent wants. Mm. He could also just see the bulge in Harry's pocket, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Is that that a Sorcerer's Stone or are you just excited to see me? Wow. <laughs> New episode title. Um, he d- <laughs> he does have eyes in the back of his head. You got to think about that. Maybe he saw kind of Harry's micro reaction. You do get a sense that it's mind reading, that it is specifically yeah. the same the same type of mind reading that makes uh, Harry nervous around Snape, that makes Harry afraid to lie directly to Dumbledore like he does in book two, especially two, like that searching look. That's basically mind reading before the actual legitimate scene in book five kind of shows sort of a different take on mind reading. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think it is fully legitimate. And that's actually one of Voldemort's superpowers mm-hmm. above everything else, above everything else that he can do. Everyone really ascribes to Voldemort this extra ability to sense and tell when you're lying. He knows, yeah. you know, so many of his followers are just terrified of lying to him because he will know the difference. And so I'd say it's it just makes extra sense that Voldemort would be mind reading right now because it's also a very specific thing. He's not just, he doesn't just know that Harry has the stone and has gotten it somehow. Uh, he knows that it's in his pocket, which is just like next level mind reading stuff. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I, I, th- I thought that it was possible that Voldemort had just developed this strong ability to tell when somebody was lying. But Eric, to your point, he specifically knows where it is, which lends itself to something more than that, right? He clearly can read Harry's mind and know exactly where it is. So I think that part of it lends itself to him doing something a little bit more than knowing Harry's lying. And what I love about this is, you know, as a reader, when you're reading this book for the first time, Voldemort is so mysterious and we know so little about him that I think we just sort of accept this at face value. Like, okay, he can tell when somebody's lying. Maybe he can read minds, but we don't really know what that is. But later on in the books, we get evidence to substantiate what Voldemort's doing here. So I think this is one of the one of the really well done hooks that we get earlier in the books that we get payoff on later. So wanted to call it out. Yeah. Um, we also know that the mirror was only placed as that final layer of protection for the stone over the Christmas holidays after Harry has his multi-night oh. pouring his soul into the mirror of Erised, um for a few nights. Um, so I'm wondering what made Dumbledore take this incremental approach towards a towards protection uh we know that quarrel was not able to get past fluffy until he got hagrid drunk to learn the secret which takes him the entire school year to do so just kind of wondering (laughs) why why dumbledore sort of had the professors it seems throughout the year adding layers of protection instead of saying we have this stone let's do this all at once Based on the Pottermore writing, which we read during the Mirror of Arised chapter, um, it seems like the mirror was in storage. Dumbledore knew about it, um, but it's not something that Dumbledore invented. 
maybe Dumbledore is just a busy man and he didn't have time to enchant the mirror the way that he wanted to. Um, obviously, the the real answer and the shortest answer is probably plot reasons. Of um, course, but, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but no, I think, I mean, looking at this realistically, if the mirror was not the final step, then the Sorcerer's Stone was probably just on a pedestal and like a cushion, like before that. And <laughs> I think... Right? <laughs> or like a very Indiana Jones-esque. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was it? thinking that or like Aladdin with Genie's lamp. Oh, very Aladdin. Very Crimes Aladdin. of Grindelwald, right? Isn't it inside a little like bell jar or something? Or am I making that up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're No, right. I think you're exactly right. Forgot about that. So then I would think that maybe it's the rising instance of weird things happening that make Dumbledore take this extra matter of protection. Like if you think about it, like... Throughout the year, things are happening that really make it seem like somebody will make an attempt for the stone. Um, so, you know, that direct attack on Harry, the troll in the castle where people are or teachers are seen, you know, on the third floor. There really does seem to be more and more evidence that somebody's coming for the stone. So it does make sense to kind of reassess the existing security um, and for Dumbledore to add that step more than halfway through the year. Yeah. When you don't know who's going to do it, I think you just need to add as many layers as possible to cover your bases. I think well, really that's what it is. Hold on. Like if if it's Dumbledore, though, like put it in your office. Like who's coming after you? <laughs> put it in your pocket. Yeah. Everybody knows his password, though. It's insecure. I oh. was thinking that, too, though. You can hide it in the office. You got to have like some ultra secure safe. Fox is like a guard. Have Phoenix. Fox swallow it. Keep it in Fox's belly. Yeah, that'll work until Fox uh, bursts into flames and is reborn. <laughs> All that's left is the stone. <laughs> is the stone he has to shove it down Fox's mouth again. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, maybe this was answered and I'm just not remembering it, but I'm wondering what made Dumbledore initially move the stone from Gringotts. What tipped him off? Mm. Do we know how Quirrell found out that it was there to begin with? No. And this yeah. is this is this is quickly rising in my head to like one of the most like questions I most want the answer to. Because I, I think it's a great question. Like they get it out the day that Gringotts is broken into. And we know from book seven, hello, a different connection, uh, between book one and seven, that it's not super easy to break into Gringotts. There are millions of things that could go wrong. I mean, Harry actually has help of a goblin to get as far as he does, but Quirrell assisted indirectly by Voldemort is able to also get into that same vault. Could it so, have been Hagrid yeah. again? Getting Hagrid drunk and getting some secrets out of him? Though I don't know <laughs> if he knew about the stone's location prior to Dumbledore sending him on that little mission. Oh, that's a that's a good question. And I'm pretty sure it's in Dumbledore's own vault. I could be wrong about that, but I get the impression because Sirius Black and Dumbledore all have like next door neighbor um, numbers on their vaults if you really look at it. But so it's Dumbledore's specific vault that was guarding the stone. Um, and I guess Nicholas Flamel had access if he ever needed to make more elixir. But yeah, what made him move it? I don't know. Like, that's kind of really neat. But it is interesting that you keep it off site or you don't have it in Dumbledore's pocket. I mean, my speculation here is what if Dumbledore doesn't trust himself to have it uh, in his pocket? Ooh, yeah. Um and in fact, if you look at the specific enchantment on the Mirror of Erised, the way that Dumbledore makes it, so somebody who wanted the stone to have find it, but not to use it, would be able to get it, he literally is locking himself out of 
the ability to get the stone. If you really think about it, like I think Dumbledore so didn't trust himself to have it that he literally designed a trick that not only Voldemort couldn't pass, but that he himself couldn't pass. Mm, I never thought about it that way before. That's really cool. Yeah, I also, you know, I just wonder if it was a case of, you know, the Sorcerer's Stone needing protection, Dumbledore not believing that Voldemort is gone, and also knowing that Harry Potter is coming to Hogwarts for his first year. And I wonder if that kind of environment alone made Dumbledore think the stone needs more protection because if Voldemort's going to come, it'll be for this at this exact Uh. moment because Harry will be accessible to him for the first time in 11 years, right? He's been living at the Dursleys where he has that blood protection. Voldemort can't access him there. Um, The other thing I was wondering about the teachers, I was thinking about as we talked about the tasks and when they were implemented, Dumbledore probably didn't tell the teachers that the other teachers were working on things. Like I'm imagining that um, it wasn't something where he called a meeting of these six professors to let them know what was up. The way that Dumbledore sort of withholds information and uses people strategically, I wouldn't be surprised if not all the professors were aware that their peers were working on this. It's more secure that way too. Yeah. Right. It does seem like it wasn't just Hagrid that Quirrell had to find things out from. It really does seem like he did spend the whole year individually meeting with teachers and gaining their confidence. That's such a Voldemort thing to do, by the way, too, um, is figure out how to get the information you want. I've always had it in my head canon that that Dumbledore is in fact the one that's laying the tasks because you can't have all the professors go down and put these tasks into place. Like for example, Quirrell, he's like five in, he's going to know everything that lies before it and how to get past it. Oh, right. So I think Dumbledore goes to each of the professors and says, hey, what can you provide me with that I can kind of put in Mm. place along the way? That makes so much sense. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I just feel like otherwise Quirrell just, he's going to know how to rip through those tasks very quickly. Well, and it seems like he does though. Mm, yeah. yeah. That's true. Mm. I want to know what chess game he played. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? How, how quickly did he win? Yeah. No, 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 night to the E5. Well, speaking of the other professors, in his conversation with Dumbledore, Harry realizes that Snape was actually trying to save him all year. No! Um, but he, per- <laughs> he proceeds to continue questioning Snape's motivations throughout the rest of the series, um, <laughs> e- even when he is proven wrong again and again. Now, I will say, especially at this point in the series, Harry is a child and Snape is an adult bully, so he doesn't really yes. give Harry many reasons to believe that he's trying to save him, so I think mm. this is fair yeah that's the thing if like if they sat down in the hospital wing at the end of this book and said you know i'm if snape said i'm sorry i've been mean to you they buried the hatchet then harry probably wouldn't continue judging him for the rest of the 
and questioning him for the rest of the series. But that hatchet is never buried. They're always kind of at odds with one another. Until Harry names his child after him. (laughs) (laughs) Would Harry have believed Snape, though, if he told him his suspicions about Quirrell? I'm not so sure. And I really just think Dumbledore validates a lot of what Quirrell tells Harry. Because if you're Harry, maybe you don't fully believe what Quirrell is telling you. Like You still think that Snape is out to get you on some level, even though Quirrell does say like all the examples of how he did kind of help Harry out. But I'm more interested in what we make of Dumbledore's loyalty to Snape this early on in the series, because the moment that sticks out for me is is when Harry says Snape. And of course, Dumbledore says, professor. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, him. Standing up for him. Yeah. I I, respect him. Yeah, there there is a little bit of propriety that needs to be observed. I think Dumbledore, as much as he does to encourage certain prejudices, uh, he does not give a f about what Slytherins think of winning the House Cup or not winning the House Cup. Um, but like he understands that it's important not to really make Harry hate Snape. So observing the niceties, correcting Harry time and again about it's Professor Snape, it's Professor Snape, like is really his way of fighting what he knows, what Dumbledore knows is a lost cause here. But he really doesn't want Snape and Harry to have the same prejudices that Snape and James had. I think he genuinely doesn't want that. It's just he could do more to prevent that. Now for this next portion of the chapter by chapter, I am not happy as the Dumbledore (laughs) apologist here on the panel. (laughs) Go ahead. So for this next part of the discussion, we're obviously going to be breaking down the conversation that Harry and Dumbledore have in the hospital wing. But because, you know, there has been a history of some shade thrown at Dumbledore on this show, some accusations of Dumbledore being a liar, I wanted us to analyze these talking points and ultimately at the end of this part of this discussion rule, whether or not Dumbledore is a liar in this book. I'm not saying other books. I'm just... Please, Harry, trust me. (laughs) You liar! couldn't help it but yeah just, <laughs> i thought you were pausing Sorry. no no no. just just in this book though just in this book we know okay. later on it's a little more complicated um so the first thing i want to jump into here this quote that it's very charming kind of cheeky but it also raises some questions for me dumbledore says what happened down in the dungeons between you and professor quarrel is a complete secret so naturally, the whole school knows. <laughs> so this is fun. But I'm like, who blabbed, though? <laughs> because the the options are Ron, Hermione, Hagrid, Snape, McGonagall, Flitwick, Sprout, or Dumbledore himself. <laughs> I think it's much narrower than that. The only people who were actually down there were Hermione, Ron, and Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And Quirrell. But Quirrell's dead. I think I would go with Ron because he's got the family members at school. So naturally, he's going to tell his brothers. And of course, they're going to start telling people. So I think it begins with Ron. I'm not saying he ran around telling the whole school. (laughs) Well, I just it just seems to make the most sense to me in terms of because you have to tell your brothers. You're going to tell your brothers. Yeah. And they're, of course, going to go tell other people. It was Dumbledore. Dumbledore is politically (laughs) motivated. No, Dumbledore, ex-Gryffindor student Dumbledore. Uh, has every reason to spread these rumors because they make his boy, Harry, look very good. Um, So even if Ron did some of it, I can imagine Dumbledore and Ron having a conversation 
where Dumbledore is like, you should tell your family what happened, you know, kind of a thing to get them. Ooh, Fred and George, wait till you hear what happened down in the dungeon. Yeah, it's my headcanon now that Dumbledore is telling Fred and George who's telling everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, it it was it was 100% Dumbledore. He's a goss. Total gossip queen. Yeah, 100%. I don't know. Some of it could start with Neville too, right? Like, yeah. And and I know we have this in the odds and ends section, right? But for Neville, I don't know how long the Petrificus Totalis curse lasts on somebody. I don't know if he was able to just like wake up after ten minutes, or oh. he's found the next morning by oh. uh, his fellow Gryffindors, and maybe that kind of started the process of oh, why is Neville rigid on the floor in this cursed position? And then that kind of lends itself to more and more information being found out. That's a good point. Yeah, so it's kind of like a slippery slope. I mean, we definitely see that at the very least, Percy has some very accurate detail at the end of your feast. He says, my brother, you know, my youngest brother got past McGonagall's giant chess set. Like, it's shockingly (laughs) accurate detail for somebody who wasn't there. Well, and if they didn't know beforehand, they certainly know now because Dumbledore says the best played game at chess. Like, do people just yep. assume it was up in the dormitories? No. Um, it's it's like, this is why I talk about Dumbledore being politically motivated to get the word out, is because he's going to then reward these kids for what they did in front of the whole school. So to uh, kind of not have to answer as many questions as possible, he's getting the word out very early. Yeah, I'm kind of imagining him going to various contacts in the school, maybe even some ghosts, and like sort of twiddling his thumbs and being like, oh, would you believe it? Harry went down there and got past all the tasks and Ron beat this giant chess set. Like I can see him doing that and sort of strategically placing little nuggets of information with various people so that the rumor mill gets going. For sure. I I hope Hermione though if she did get back before Neville you know well came to woke up like that she reversed her curse. I mean, I, that would be only appropriate, right? Like Yeah. But um no, I think probably and Danielle mentioned this in the Discord, like the most obvious thing here is Ron got injured. So if he's physically yes. hurt, his family is going to know. So Yeah. that also could have opened up the door for the information. But I like yeah. I like the idea of Dumbledore spilling all the tea. <laughs> He's a tea spiller. Yeah, he is. Um, well, he also goes on to be really impressed with Harry uh, for the level of investigation that he, Ron, and Hermione did on this. Um, when he realizes that Harry knows all about Nicholas Flamel, he says, oh, you know about Nicholas? You did do the thing properly, didn't you? So there's a lot of pride here, but it also feels to me like Dumbledore is testing Harry's readiness. It feels like every conversation Dumbledore has with Harry is like uh, this, where he's trying to push him and see how far Harry's able to get with some of these challenges. Because, you know, I don't think Dumbledore knows at this point in the series, but he certainly has to have some suspicions about how this is all going to have to go. Ooh, he is pretty good. I'm impressed so far. <laughs> <laughs> My Dumbledore has been taking on like the Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> it's like a British Woo-hoo! Pillsbury. <laughs> like I picture Dumbledore's belly getting poked by Harry. Pillsbury Dumbledore. New character. <laughs> oh, man. Pillsbury Dumbledore. <laughs> I think you're right, Laura. He is inspecting Harry's uh, viability. And 
you know, when they chat about death a little bit later, because Harry very astutely observes, well, Nicholas is going to die if you destroy the stone. And Dumbledore goes on to, you know, give a pretty meaty description of what he thinks of death. And I thought we could unpack some of it. So one of the first things he says is that to someone like Nicholas and his wife, Paranel, dying after so long really is like going to bed after a very, very long day. And I thought it was so interesting to draw a comparison between this and the King's Cross scene in Deathly Hallows, where Harry, for a moment, doubts whether or not he wants to go back to the forest into the battle with Voldemort. Um, it, he notes here that leaving this place would not be nearly as hard as walking into the forest had been, but it was warm and light and peaceful here. And he knew that he was heading back to pain and the fear of more loss. So Harry really does, I think we see him evolve from book one, thinking of death as this, you know, scary thing as I, you know, I think most children do, but he reaches this point of acceptance and Deathly Hallows. So he really does go full circle <laughs> in the series here, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah. And I think also looking again at the Sorcerer's Stone quote, Harry, he is only 11 years old. He can't imagine dying already at this age. And I love Dumbledore's quote because it's like, he's well over 600 years old. That's enough. That's He's ready to go. Whereas you're not, kid, because you're just 11. You just And you just found out you're a wizard. But don't worry, I'm planning your death for you. Yep. <laughs> you're showing me that you're going to be ready in seven years. <laughs> to the well-organized mind, uh, death happens at age 17. Okay. <laughs> the next great adventure, King's Cross Station. <laughs> Put that on a shirt. To the well-organized mind, death happens at 17. <laughs> <laughs> well, he also says something that I think is maybe a bit more self-reflective than anything else. Dumbledore says, humans do have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worst for them. Love it. Give in to your worst instincts. Yeah, we know, for example, Dumbledore does not see socks in the mirror of Erised. And I think there are a lot of examples we can infer from this statement. We can think of Grindelwald. We can think about the Deathly Hallows for Dumbledore. Of course, we can think about Harry dwelling on his dreams, which is something that we know Dumbledore has also fallen prey to. Yeah, I, I think it's really just a reflective moment for Dumbledore. And it's easy for him to mm -hmm. say this, right? He's 150 years old himself. So he can look back, uh, I think, with a little bit more perspective than somebody who is just coming into their teenage years. The interesting thing that he mentions, though, that the stone can provide is is money, and I never got the sense for uh, that that the stone could do that. I guess maybe just being around for such a long period of time and being immortal lends itself to you accumulating massive amounts of money. But well, well it, it can turn gold, any metal right? into gold. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. It's it's the first, and because it's first, you forget about it. It's the first stated use of the sorcerer's stone is actually that it turns all metals into gold. Or Philosopher's Stone. Good point. But that kind of pales in comparison to immortality, right? Like, I think right. any human is going to be more impressed with the immortality than the gold. Well, I, I think, too, it really depends on uh, whether you have a guy that can buy gold. Because I would, <laughs> after a certain amount, like, gold only works if you can sell it, right? Right. So, Well, no, you just go bury it somewhere. 
And then when <laughs> things go really bad, you dig it up out of the backyard and you're set. <laughs> but it really is unlimited wealth and life, both, that are the two things that Dumbledore's like human beings choose what is worst for them. A little bit of anti-greed. What I do love about this, though, is that in this moment, we don't know that Dumbledore is is talking about himself. It's not until much later on in the series that we're able to really get a sense that you know, in, in this particular instance, Dumbledore is talking as much about himself as he is talking about humans in general. Very much so. Right. I did want to point out, too, in the Discord, Danielle pointed out that, uh, again, regarding going to sleep after a really long time, what Dumbledore tells Harry. Uh, Harry's also reminded that death is like falling asleep when he is afraid in the forests of book seven. Ooh, um, good catch. Great catch, Danielle. I found the quote, page 699. Harry asks, does it hurt? And Sirius says, dying? Not at all. Quicker and easier than falling asleep. Ah, uh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Great, great catch. Well, Harry obviously has a lot of questions for Dumbledore. And this is where we'll start getting into the point of the discussion where we can think about, is Dumbledore a liar? Okay, like push the Andrew button, Andrew. Get, get ready. Hand over the button, Andrew. Every it's time hovering. Dumbledore lies, we it's get hovering. It. Well, just, we, we don't know if he does. We don't know if he does. So we'll see. Uh, he does. He does. <laughs> a, a lie of omission is still kind of a lie. Mm. Ah. Well, well. I mean, the first line. <laughs> I shall not, of course, lie. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. He's like, I'll answer your questions unless I have a very good reason not to. In which case, I beg you'll forgive me. I shall not, of course, lie. (laughs) Amazing. Oh, well, there you go. He's not lying. Yeah. Well, the first thing Harry asks him is, why, why me? Why is Voldemort the way? Like, he wants to know the origin story of this villain. And Dumbledore Mm -hmm. says, alas, the first thing you asked me, I cannot tell you. Not today, not now. You will know one day. Put it from your mind for now, Harry. When you are older, I know you hate to hear this. When you are ready, you will know. And that full moment of readiness doesn't come until the very end of the series. Um, So we know- you think this is a liar moment? No, hold on, well, hold on. Well, no. Maybe maybe Dumbledore waited too long to eventually tell him everything. Maybe it could have come by year three or four or five. Well, yeah, in book five when he says, I'm going to tell you everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, especially right there. But he just started learning the truth about himself and his yeah. family within the last year. I think we need to back up and consider that. He didn't even know he was a wizard that time a year prior. And he's probably still processing it all. He probably can't even handle that he's a wizard. It's still mind-blowing to him, all this. And then you have to tell him he's been marked to die. He needs to go fight Voldemort and die. Come on. Look, the question is not whether Dumbledore has a very good reason for not telling Harry these things. The question is, is he lying? Yes. There you go. And he says, the first thing you ask me, I cannot tell you. He can. He chooses not to. That's a lie. No, he can't tell Harry because he's too young to hear all of this information all up front at once. But 11-year-old just got started. I don't think it's a lie. I don't think it's a lie. Yeah, I choose more to focus on the when you're ready, you will know. Because if you think about how close it came that Harry never would have found out uh, all of Snape's memories, like Harry had to be present when Nagini killed Snape in order for Mm -hmm. him to know the secret. So like 
it very nearly didn't happen, period. So this when you're ready, you'll know, or when you're older, when the time comes, you'll know. Dumbledore can't guarantee that. So it's kind of a false promise. Like, it's almost like betraying, because when the time comes to tell Harry, like, for instance, that moment in book five, he still doesn't tell him everything he shows in the prophecy. Uh, but he still doesn't show him like truly everything that he suspects. Yeah. And so the question is like, well, he lies. We know he kind of lies to Harry in book five, but is he lying to him now that when he's ready, he's going to know? Cause he doesn't say when you're ready, I'll tell you. Yeah. Dumbledore, he just kind of keeps kicking the can down the road. And I think that's more of a problem. And he says it later on, right? He, he, he wanted to avoid telling Harry for as long as he could because he wanted Harry to, have some semblance of a happy life for whatever length of a life that was going to be. But I do wonder if there was an age appropriate way to kind of explain some things here. Um, just like you can explain more complicated adult concepts to children in an age appropriate way. We do it all the time. Well, I'll give Dumbledore credit for book two, because when he tells mm -hmm. Harry that, you know, if I'm not very much mistaken, that night, uh, Dumbledore or Voldemort passed on some traits, you know, when he cast, when your spell mm -hmm. rebounded, some traits came to you. Like, that's a, that's an example of what I think of an age appropriate way of saying there's a part of his soul <laughs> that latched onto you because he obliterated it and it couldn't find a, a, the nearest living thing. Like, that's a great way of distilling it down. For now, Dumbledore is just like, I can't say. Yeah, I, I could go either way on whether this is. It's, it's semantics, but I think the fact that the word cannot is used is, is a misdirect, right? He can tell him if he so chose. Maybe saying something like, I, I will not tell you, or starting by saying, look, this is something we need to discuss at a later time. I think getting hung up on the word cannot is a stretch, but... If you guys want to call it a lie, it's fine by me. Yeah, because he ultimately doesn't tell him and certainly never tells Harry directly about the Horcrux connection, I think that it's important to call this a lie. <laughs> okay, so that's right. two for a lie. Laura? I guess I'll blow with the prevailing wind here because I'm honestly undecided. I'll say it's a lie. Okay, and honestly, I just wanted to hear the sound effect again, so. <laughs> Please, Harry, trust me. You liar! I will say, though, I think... Anything more that he gave him at this point would have been too much, right? You yeah. can't tell him the, about the prophecy at 11 years old. It, it, he's a kid. So I'll, I'll throw out the counter argument there too. Yeah. And it, it's also, you know, Harry is having to deal with a lot as a kid and finding out that there was an entire prophecy about him and his family at this age would be too much. But you know what's interesting? Thinking about the prophecy... Harry actually asked Dumbledore directly about Snape. And there's this talk about Lily and James and Voldemort in this chapter told Harry that his mother needn't have died. All yeah. this stuff goes right back to Snape, right back to the fact that Dumbledore interrupted Snape listening in at the keyhole and is the main reason why Voldemort was able to even go after Lily and James. Like, as much as Dumbledore does to defend Snape's, whatever you'd call it, honor against Harry right now, and he does tell him about the time James saved Sirius's life, there is so much more about Snape specifically 
that Dumbledore is keeping way the hell out of Harry's reach, things he would never even guess at, that I think that counts as a lie too. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but like this whole Snape component to why Lily and James died is completely glossed over by Dumbledore. And it's because he needs it to be that way. Well, and at age 11, yeah, is it going to be helpful for Harry to know hey, actually, your potions professor is the reason <laughs> your parents are dead. I mean, I, I do think he should have known before it was time to know, like before after like Sirius is dead and he's just numb to it all. Yeah, and I think, you know, at this point, Dumbledore really, he gives Harry a half truth here. And this is something that does feel age appropriate to me. He's like, I believe Snape worked so hard to protect you this year because he felt that would make him and your father even because he tells Harry that James saved Snape's life. And I th- I get this one. Harry really is not ready at this stage to know what a jerk James was because that's part of the conversation too. You can't give Harry the whole history of Snape, Lily, and James without including that Snape or that James was a huge bully. Yeah. But is this the truth though? It's a half truth. Did Snape work hard to protect Harry because he felt that it would make, like you would have to ask Snape that question. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if I buy that personally. uh, Snape's trying to make good on the favor that James did him many years ago. Yeah, I wonder. I kind of like I like the narrative. I like the way that Dumbledore says, like, so he can go back to hating your father's memory in peace is like kind of a thing that I can see Snape doing. Well, and it's an easier answer than he loved your mom. <laughs> Have a good summer. But then, it's a li- <laughs> but then it's a lie because the truth is that he did it for Lily, not for James. But like you said, we don't we don't know what's I don't think this is fair to call Dumbledore a liar here because we need to hear from Snape himself mm. here to know the truth there, I think. Because I think it it is a valid excuse. James did do him a solid. Yeah. It, it's true. That happened. That was That is a real yeah, thing that happened. Yeah, 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 so yeah. it'd yeah. be one thing if he was making it up, but he's not making it up. James did do Snape a favor. So I'll agree. I'll, yeah, I'll agree not to call this like a direct. Yes. Like a lie. Yeah, I yeah. don't. I don't think this is a lie. I think I do think it's a half truth. But I don't know okay. that that makes it a lie. So play half the sound clip. <laughs> no. <laughs> lie count up to 7.5. No. Well, we hear Ron later on in the chapter saying, do you think he meant you to do it? Sending you your father's cloak and everything. <laughs> and we've speculated about this. Dumbledore clearly knows from the prophecy that Harry is the chosen one. He does know that at this point in the series. So is he taking a leaf out of the centaur's book and rather than fighting destiny, setting Harry up to succeed? Yes, it was his father's. And I'm also thinking about, I was thinking last night about how Harry's always the center of attention at this darn school, especially this year, being the shiny new toy. Maybe Dumbledore just wants to help him get around the school in peace. You know, so he could sneak around without being looked at. Aww. Oh, let me see your scar. Oh, you're the chosen one. Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Let Harry have some peace. Why not give it to him when he comes to school then? Why wait until Christmas? It was too soon. Timing is everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Aren't we establishing this? Right. <laughs> you aren't ready, Harry. You'll be ready in three months. I'll give you a <laughs> look then. 
it's a present. It's it's for Christmas. It's yeah, something exactly. that comes from his dad. It it it's well, a right. nice the, gesture. The parental connection is is really strong there. Yeah, it is. Harry's totally right on his guess that he said, you know, funny man, Dumbledore. Um, I think that he thought I had a right to face Voldemort if I wanted to. That's kind of what Harry is talking about when Ron asks him the question about Dumbledore. And, you know, to that, I say, but Harry, you're 11. <laughs> like, you, like, the headmaster might feel like you have a right to face Voldemort, but he has zero or next to zero guarantees that you will ever survive such an encounter. Um, Harry got lucky with the skin touch connection with mm-hmm. Quirrell and still ended up, according to Dumbledore, Dumbledore even admits Harry was real close to dying. Yeah. Um. So Dumbledore kind of arranging things or allowing this sort of thing to occur, whether it was by giving him the cloak or letting the events play out over the year, not cracking down more on his own staff, who one of them is clearly out to kill Harry, Um. you know, could be said to be just utterly reckless. Dumbledore in enabling this for Harry and giving Harry the shot he deserves and not waiting till he gets older to give him such a shot. It was completely inexcusable. Yeah. And is that a lie then? Because Dumbledore is sitting here telling Harry, you're not ready to hear any of this, but oh. you but you are ready to go face a murderer on your oh. own. Oh, yes. It's a lie. Yes. Yes. It's a yes. great point. Please, Harry, trust me. Yes, you liar. <laughs> <laughs> and Eric, you use the word that, that I think is most appropriate, and that is Dumbledore enables Harry, especially by giving him the invisibility cloak. Yeah, you know, on the one hand, the cloak is great for stealing food out of the kitchens. I love that he tells Harry <laughs> that that's that that's mostly what James used it for. That's such a little detail that we know is true from later because we see it in one of the memories or flashbacks or something. But it's so funny because obviously James did a lot more than that uh, under that cloak as well. Yeah, and we will get to our final verdict here of is Dumbledore a liar and Sorcerer's Stone? And I'm sure there may be some other examples that folks can think of they want to draw from but there are a couple of little side quests i want to go on here that do relate to dumbledore though the first one is a security nightmare starting to sound like a security nightmare security nightmare harry says i think he knows more or less everything that goes on here you know and this very much feels like a like the call is coming from inside the house moment (laughs) we hear it said all the time that hogwarts is the safest place because of Dumbledore being there. But Dumbledore also attracts a lot of drama. Right? Like, is Dumbledore being at Hogwarts what's making it a security nightmare? No! (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, Harry being there makes it a security nightmare, too, I guess you could argue. Yeah. Mm. He brought the stone to the school. And the question would be, would Harry have even have been in danger if the stone was never there to begin with? Mm-hmm. Would Voldemort have made the decision to latch on to Quirrell? Maybe still, but Quirrell wouldn't have been as concerned with Harry. He would have been in search of the stone. I don't know. I, I think it's pretty reckless what he does. And not only that, somebody brought this up earlier, he's a letting Voldemort into Hogwarts. Yep. But has absolutely no idea that he's there for an entire school year. It's kind of unforgivable. Yeah. And this happens again in the next book. And it's just, uh, <laughs> well, it's 
pretty amazing. And drawing another connection to Deathly Hallows, we find out through Snape's memories that Dumbledore kind of suspects it because he says, do keep an eye on Quirrell, won't you? Yep. It's like, no, Dumbledore, why don't you put Quirrell in a room, maybe Filch's room <laughs> that still has all the chains? And why don't you get to the bottom of this? You know, because if, if, if all is well, if Quirrell is not a spy, like, you know, then all no harm, no foul. Uh, but otherwise, you get some pretty interesting results if you just took a, a second glance at Quirrell yourself. Yeah. So are we agreeing that Dumbledore is the security nightmare of Hogwarts? <laughs> He's one of them for sure. Yeah. He's a very big one. <laughs> the real security nightmare was the headmaster all along. He's a very <laughs> big, tall, old security nightmare. And it is a good point that Micah raised too, of being like in any kind of, if you think of it as a game of strategy, you don't put the two most prized pieces. Like think about it like chess, for example. You don't put your two most prized players in the same place where they can get right killed or taken or whatever. So yeah, I think having Harry and the stone at Hogwarts was not a good idea. Similar to how you set up seven layers for the trials, like you add more hoops to jump through. Mm -hmm. And a very big one would be the stone and Harry not being in the same place. Right. Exactly. It gives Voldemort the ability to kill two birds with one stone, if you will. Uh, (laughs) Play that sound. Don't we have a sound effect for those types of jokes? I don't know. Do we? (laughs) I have umbrage laughing. Is it it a womp womp? (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) It was good, though. Uh, Yeah, no, it's like there we go. There we go. Oh, I missed that. You made me think of, yeah, the that's why the president and the vice president never travel together, right? Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Okay. So here's a quote uh from the other minister, our patron in the Discord. They say, "I always thought Dumbledore being in the school made it more safe. He knows everything that is going on, and in the end, it all works out." If there was a different headmaster, they may not have been able to save the students in those situations. So do we forgive do we forgive Dumbledore for despite enabling all the horrible things that happen in Hogwarts uh, coming in clutch at the end to save those students after all hell breaks loose? Because I think he doesn't want to get anybody actually in serious danger or trouble. He is a good guy. We have to remember that. So I think that he felt very confident that this was all going to work out. He did have layers of security protecting the stone. He is keeping an eye on Harry. He's got this handled. And it did all work out in the end. No, he left. He knew something was going on and he left. Like and <laughs> that he didn't was a just mistake. like go for a stroll in the forest. He he like went to London. He believed a fake letter. Yeah. <laughs> and not only like we can get to this much later in the series, but I feel like he gave up on the school at one point. And that's at the end of Half-Blood <laughs> Prince. He lets his school get taken over by Death Eaters uh, in Deathly Hallows because he wants this dramatic fall from the astronomy tower. Oh, forget about it. I can't take this anymore. I'm too old for this. Anyway. I'm moving on. Can we get a sound effect for that, please, Andrew? What? You being like, I'm too old for this. I'm too old for this. Gobbledygook. (laughs) Well, let's get on to our final verdict here. Is Dumbledore a liar in Sorcerer's Stone? How many lies do we have in this segment? We're up to eight. Yeah. Eight total. 
for book one. Yeah. That's a lot of lies. Well, it's it not is. all the Harry. It's not all the Harry. I think two or three of them were in the first chapter when he's talking to McGonagall. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah, but the question is, is he just a liar? So I think I think the answer is yes. And we'll continue to monitor the situation as we go through <laughs> the rest of the books. Yes. to Where's it going to go, Andrew? Yes to very yes to super yes. <laughs> well, no, we're, we're just keeping tally. That's what I mean. We're just keeping. We'll continue okay, to. Tally up the lies. I mean, I don't know. It's funny to hear Dumbledore's apologist being like, yeah, he's a liar here. Because I, I think at this point, he he cares about it. He controls information. Is everyone who control information a liar? Maybe. It's not yet in liar oh, territory. Depends on what you do with it. Yeah, it's not yet fully in like to call him a liar. We don't have all the evidence yet. Yeah. I think it gets more egregious as the books go on. I, I, I think now we're comfortable saying what Dumbledore shares is on a need-to-know basis. Mm, and he's yeah. doing. you can make the argument he's doing it to protect Harry. However, as we move further on in the series, there's a lot more questions that can be asked mm-hmm. about his about decision About his judgment, making. right? Mm, sure. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he, he makes some mistakes. But yeah, I think- it, and it sounds like, based on this, that we're saying at this point in the series, we're not comfortable calling Dumbledore an outright liar, but he's building a foundation. <laughs> and I say that, I, I actually really like Dumbledore. I know that we we get some heat from people every now and then when we talk about this, but the reason I like Dumbledore is because he is such a complex character and this is one of the reasons why. As we move on, it would be very interesting to see who tells more truth to Harry, Dumbledore or Voldemort. Ooh, <laughs> man. That, okay, that's actually nuts. I already know who's going to win that, and it's Voldemort. It doesn't matter, though, because one person is actually trying to protect him, so it doesn't oh, matter. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Voldemort has no reason ever to lie to Harry, except he, well, actually, okay, but wait, if we are doing a Voldemort liar count, he does tell Harry that his parents begged for death, and that's clearly a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, or begged, begged for their lives. Yeah, uh, that was just yeah. mean. Yeah, that <laughs> for was to say that that was a lie. But yeah, most most of the time, Dumbledore or Voldemort just doesn't have to hide his motivations the way that Dumbledore has to hide both his own motivations and Voldemort's motivations from Harry. Andrew, you're gonna have to record uh, a sound effect for Voldemort. <laughs> being like trust me i need to start getting paid for all these sound effects this is a lot of effort everybody (laughs) no no you're bringing joy to the hearts of thousands andrew like that that's payment enough time for some odds and ends there are some uh iconic quotes in this chapter and i didn't want to let it go we mentioned to uh we mentioned earlier after all to the well-organized mind death is but the next great adventure however there there are a few more uh, there's one by Quirrell when he says, there is no good and evil, there is only power, and those too weak to seek it. That one is often misquoted, or it's quoted correctly, but taken out of context. I remember that line in particular being used by, I think, Laura Mallory um, to mm-hmm. talk about how the books were bad oh. um, and promoting evil. But if you if you see that the line is coming from Quirrell, and Quirrell very specifically is talking about the moment when he broke bad. And he's like, Voldemort, you know, my master showed me there is no good and evil. It's like, no, no, very clearly, if the villain is saying this, that doesn't mean the book is for this. It means the book is against this. Right. There's also the iconic Hermione quote, 
which is actually Dumbledore in the books when he says, fear of a name increases fear of the thing itself. I like that it comes from Hermione in the movies, though. Dumbledore has enough classic quotes. Yeah, spread them out to another wise person. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree. It really annoys me that every good iconic line that another character said was given to Hermione in the movies because Hermione has a lot of iconic lines of her own. Give her her own stuff. Stop taking taking things from other good characters. And I love Hermione. She's one of my favorite characters, but you don't have to give every smart sounding quote to her. That's fair. Uh, And then the last one, the truth, it is a beautiful and terrible thing and should therefore be treated with great caution. That's also oh. from Dumbledore. And I, to which I say, yeah, you would say that, you liar. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge red flag. That is, if you, if you were to ask, like, where's the evidence that Dumbledore willingly lied to Harry ever? It's that line. It's, it's just that line. Well, pivoting a little bit here. We see that Quirrell isn't twitching or stuttering anymore. And I was wondering if we could dig into that a little bit. Was he 100% faking it? Or did sharing a body with Voldemort and drinking unicorn blood give him the ability to overcome it? That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. I I went to look about Quirrell on wizardingworld.com. I don't think he was faking it. Uh, and the reason why is this quote from from Rowling, who said, I saw Quirrell as a gifted but delicate boy who would probably have been teased for his timidity and nerves during his school life. So clearly he already has a, a little bit of uh, anxiety and nerves going on. Feeling inadequate and wishing to prove himself, he developed an initially theoretical interest in the dark arts, like many people who feel themselves to be insignificant even laughable, Quirrell had a latent desire to make the world sit up and notice him. So it could have been like a childhood stutter that he then is playing up more for emphasis during the last year, like, you know, kind of leaning in and, and bringing bringing it back as a guys. Yeah. The thing I was going to mention is he was the, I want to say, Muggle Studies professor. He was at Hogwarts prior to this school year. I'm 90% sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it isn't until this year that the whole Voldemort stuff goes on. So the other staffers, especially the ones who've been there a long time, like Snape, McGonagall, would be very suspicious if all of a sudden he completely developed, you know, a stutter this year as like a ruse. Yeah, I don't know. This quote doesn't convince me he wasn't faking it. I think by faking it, it makes him look like an insignificant figure who couldn't possibly try to steal the stone. I mean, how could he? As as is kind of surmised by Harry, I think it's like, you know, it has to be Snape. He's calm, cool and collected. And then Quirrell, mm. he's being bullied by Snape. He can barely get words out like he's just a total mess. I still think he's faking it. It's it's certainly possible. It, it does, to your point, lend himself to be a little bit more insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Of a potential and make, threat. Come, yeah. a, come across as being a little bit weak. Uh, Eric, you kind of answered this for me. I, I've never really understood Quirrell's tenure as professor. Uh, I was going to say Defense Against the Dark Arts professor, but you mentioned he he taught at Hogwarts previously um, because he is he's not really positioned like the other Defense Against the Dark Arts professors as a first year professor. And we know that he traveled the world before taking the DADA position, and he obviously comes back with Voldemort attached to him. So I was just 
wondering a bunch of different things. Like with Voldemort being attached to him, is the curse not applicable? Because if he would have stayed attached mm. to Quirrell, essentially Voldemort is teaching defense against the dark arts. So yeah, he Voldemort himself is in the post, which is what he's always wanted. So does the curse really apply here? Yeah. Hmm. Is this just a technicality? Maybe. Maybe I'm thinking into it too much. Well, I don't know if you're thinking into it too much, but I think maybe this is this is maybe one of those areas that you could describe as being somewhat of a plot hole. Mm. And that, you know, the explanation we might get if we were to ask would be, oh, well, he was using somebody else's body, so the curse doesn't apply, which feels flimsy to me. So yeah, I I would be comfortable saying that's kind of a a plot hole. Um, well, I have a connecting the threads moment that kind of relates to something we talked about um, earlier in this discussion when we think about, you know, Harry sort of coming to meet Dumbledore both at the end of this conflict, but also at the end of Deathly Hallows in the King's Cross chapter. Um, so we know in book one, Harry passes out fighting quarrel. And as he comes to, he thinks he sees the snitch. He realizes <laughs> it's Dumbledore's glasses. Um, but I thought this imagery was interesting because in Sorcerer's Stone, Harry is in his unconscious state, you know, his barely waking state, trying to catch the snitch, which is representative of him trying to live. But in Deathly Hallows, he lets the snitch go by allowing it to break open and reveal the stone because he's ready to die. And of course, in both cases, when he comes to Dumbledore is the person who's awaiting him. And who gives Harry the snitch in book seven? Dumbledore. Dumbledore's will and yeah. Beautiful. I also just wanted to shout out Hagrid proclaims, I'll never drink again. (laughs) (laughs) Which resonated because I think we've all been there. And then a few days pass and you fully recover. And well, it's back to the bar for you. Oh, yeah. Hagrid, I don't believe you. And I think that's definitely proven... Uh, to not hold up from later books. (laughs) He definitely does. In fact, in the next book, I'm pretty sure we see him drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. I also thought this was just a nice warm and fuzzy moment. Hagrid gets Harry's parents' old school friends to send photos so he can make him a photo album. This made me cry. While reading this, I actually legit sniffled. Aww. Okay, so those are some odds and ends, and we do have kind of a bonus segment to wrap up Sorcerer's Stone. But first, as usual, it's time for Most Valuable Chapter or Wizard of the Week. I'm going to give it to Neville for getting them just over the edge, getting Gryffindor just over the edge to win the House Cup. And he was a brave boy, and he deserved those points, though eh, maybe he could have gotten more than 10. He definitely could have gotten more than 10 Dumbledore. <laughs> uh, anyway, my MVP is going to Madame Pomfrey. She runs a tight ship. She's taking yeah. care of a lot of people. And uh, she nursed Harry back to health. She nursed Ron back to health. So we have a healthy trio heading into Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> They're going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it to a most valuable chapter, actually. And now that we've finished book one, I can go back and pretty confidently say chapter one of book one was just such a superb intro to this world. Both chapters one and 17 are very Dumbledore heavy. And I just love, again, the the ending line of chapter one. 
to Harry Potter, the boy who lived is just a great way to start off the series. So I'm just feeling all the love for chapter one right now. And I'm going to give MVP to Harry. Got to give it to him for this chapter. (laughs) Can you Um, do that? (laughs) I don't think we ever ruled against it. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can. We don't start seven word summaries with Harry. Yeah. Oh, right, (laughs) right. I'm I'm mixing up my segment rules. But I do think I think we should probably institute a rule about how often Harry can be the MVP. Maybe once per book. Yeah, once per buck. So this is his once per buck. Good job, Harry. I'm pretty sure I may have given him an MVP earlier mm. in the series. Yeah, maybe. But mm. it's fine. We're just establishing the rule now, so yeah. it's okay. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So we thought to wrap things up that we would revisit our seven-word summaries for Sorcerer's Stone and give ourselves an opportunity for one do-over. We're now going to read the summaries and give you all a perfect encapsulation of this book. So here we go. Chapter 1. Vernon thinks that people are behaving oddly. Chapter 2. Dudley can't understand why he sucks badly. Chapter 3. Chaos awaits the Dursleys everywhere and above. Chapter 4. Suddenly, Hagrid bursts through the door. Bam! Chapter 5. Magic is being shown in the shops. Chapter 6. Aboard the train, Harry meets the Weasleys. Chapter 7. Students arrive in the Great Hall nervously. Chapter 8. Eagerly, Harry begins classes with angry teacher. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 9. Draco challenges Harry to a midnight fake out. Chapter 10. Dinner is interrupted by a massive disturbance. Chapter 11. Gryffindor surprises Hogwarts with winning very tastily. Chapter 12, Dumbledore gives Harry some advice about life. Chapter 13, secrets are revealed when chocolate is eaten. Chapter 14, Hagrid reveals illegal practices inside his hut. Chapter 15, Mars might tell of future conflicts forthcoming. Chapter 16, Voldemort is hiding behind Quirrell's incompetence keys. (laughs) And chapter 17, Dumbledore comes at the situation with lies. That's the book. We didn't have to spend like a dozen episodes on it. I know. Do you think we should just do this for the rest of the books? Just keep it short and sweet? Yeah, just Sounds 109. Great. Uh, that's a 119 word summary. Is there one we feel is the best of all of these? I know we're going to replace one. Number four, suddenly Hagrid bursts through the door. Bam! <laughs> it's funny you ask that, Micah, because uh, contrary to what I've stated on a previous MuggleCast, our patrons have actually diligently been rating us on each of our seven word summaries. Shout out to Michael uh, in particular for running the polls every week. If you look at the bottom of our document right now. So I've actually sorted all of our seven word summaries into ranking. And the Hagrid one is the second highest ranked, actually, apart from chapter number one, which Vernon thinks that people are behaving oddly. So those are all of our seven word summaries voted. And I was running around trying to collect some of the results on today's seven word summaries that we could include it. And today's seven word summary is fifth from last. But we have a lot of really good ones. So I don't feel too bad about that. It's also helpful that they voted that 16 is also the one we all agree to replace. Uh, yes. So now I think we would like another crack at uh, chapter 16, which, you know, from from my perspective, really just speaks more to chapter 17 than chapter Like That's the only thing that I would say is wrong with it is it doesn't necessarily talk about going through the trap door. 
Yes. Okay. Yeah. And we all voted and we all we all nominated some chapters to be redone. And this one took the lead. We should do the same order, though, that we did for this. Well, we got to call up Michelle and have her back on. Yeah, yeah I was oh. going to say. So, Michelle, no offense, but we have decided to re-record. Oh, and it wasn't due to you. Exactly. No, we we took this one in the wrong direction. It's not you, it's us. Yeah, it is. It is. All right. Here's our second crack at it. Challenges. Await. The... Trio Beneath The I should just really screw this up and ruin it for Eric, but <laughs> Trapdoor! Hey! You got you what go. you wanted, Eric. Okay. You got what you wanted. All That's right. a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Good job, everybody. Yeah. Okay. We redeemed ourselves. That's as good. I like that as much or better than Draco challenges Harry to a midnight fake out. Actually, I think that's <laughs> one of the better ones we did. I, I enjoyed that one. Yeah. yeah. Book one is done. We're off to book two on next week's episode of Choo-choo. MuggleCast. Choo-choo. Here we go. Train Back on the train. Along. Another year at Hogwarts coming up quick. So pull out your copies of Chamber of Secrets. I have the Mina Lima edition here on standby. I can't wait to look through this one. It's so great when you get to the chamber, there's the uh, statue of Salazar and you pull the tab on the mouth and the snake comes out of his mouth. Oh, cool. (laughs) Wonderful thing. Don't forget that on Bonus MuggleCast this week, we are talking about some recent Harry Potter news stories. So check out patreon.com slash MuggleCast for that. If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can send an owl to MuggleCast at gmail.com. Or you can use the contact form on MuggleCast.com to send a voice message. Record it using the Voice Memo app on your phone and then email us that file. Or you can use our phone number, which is 192033Muggle. That's 192036844453. And now it's time for some quizage. Uh, last week's question, what does Voldemort tell Harry that he will do once he has the elixir of life? Voldemort actually says he will create a body of his own which is not one of the stated abilities, but wouldn't put it past him. Go Voldemort. Correct answers were submitted by Artemis Fido Jr. II, Booba Tuber Puss, Buff Daddy, Dumbledore's Sock Knitter, Elizabeth K., Granger Beans, Gryffindork, Hayden B., McGonagall's The True Advocate, Moody's Pegleg, Coral the Squirrel, Ravenclaw from Nebraska, Smuggly Muggly, that's my new favorite one. Sorry, Count Ravioli. The Gummy Walnut, Voldemort's earwax. What is your name? And somebody asked, "What the hell is a Hufflepuff?" I mean, whoa, we're very cool. Okay, next week's question: What color are Dobby the house elf's eyes? That looks forward, of course, to chapter one of book two. So submit your answer to us on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich, or go to MuggleCast.com and click on Quizich in the uh, main nav. We mentioned Michelle a couple minutes ago. She's actually listening live right now on our Patreon. And of course, her Discord name is The Other Minister, who Eric cited earlier, and she agreed with us. She said, yeah, Chapter 16 had to be redone. So uh, yeah, everybody get reading Chamber of Secrets. We're looking forward to starting that on next week's episode. And make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any new episodes of MuggleCast. And leave us a review if they allow you to. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. 
Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Another year gone. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Dumby.